We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's something about Indiana and Lance Stevenson. It's something about that whole connection. Like, you could just feel it. It's going to probably be like Michael Jordan coming back to play in the NBA or something. Evenson fires again. Home sweet home. James Johnson wants a piece of Stevenson. Goes inside with a left hand. Nine in the quarter for Stevenson. Stevenson, the Pacers out of the timeout with the lead. He's going to let it fly again for three. As long as they're going under that screen, he's making shots. Stevenson up and two more. A 14-point first quarter for Lance Stevenson. Stevenson in the corner for three. Count it again! <laughs> Stevenson on the wing. Let's it fly for three. Got it! <laughs> you can't ask for a better debut than that. I don't care what you expected. You can't ask for more than that. A 20-point first quarter for Lance Stevenson. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Setting the Pace. And no, Mike Focci is not here today, but I'm going to be joined by Alexa Ross uh, today to talk all things Lance Stevenson mania. So, Alexa, was this your first you know, chance here in Indiana to experience the Lance craziness? Yes. It, in game, absolutely. You know, obviously, you can't go anywhere without seeing a Lance Stevenson jersey just because he is that guy. So this is the first time I've seen him in action and it was awesome. I understand. I get it. I get the hype. Yeah. So 20 points and in, in one quarter, a franchise record. I think it's an NBA record, too, for a player to come it off is. the bench and score yeah. 20 points in the first quarter. I mean, so we're talking like monumental stuff right here. This is just like I'm sitting on the couch watching this game at home and I'm literally laughing every time the ball goes in the hoop because it's like he could miss. He was eight of nine in that first quarter. It was a spectacular moment. And the crowd just got louder and louder. Like, I don't even know how the crowd had in more in them to get that much louder but they did and it was just so crazy and then topping it off with the buzzer beater the three to end the quarter I mean that was one of the most spectacular moments I've seen in just professional basketball it's kind of incredible because I wasn't there but you can hear it through you could hear it through the tv and you can't always hear sound like that through the tv so just to hear the sheer excitement and I think when you see what he did in the first quarter, like you don't think that 
anything could get louder and people just got so much more excited as the time went along obviously maybe a sign of things to come which we'll talk a little bit more later but watching him come back it's like he picked off like picked up like he never left off right and that, that's that's the beautiful thing about it it's like i was enjoying hearing what he had to say after the game said he didn't even sleep all night last night he was so hypey was just so excited to be back here in indianapolis and that's a crazy thing too like this is a kid from new york who got his break here in indiana went to several playoff runs with paul george david west roy hibbert george hill that group that challenged LeBron james in the early 2010s and then comes back once again gets the paces into the playoffs with jeff teague and paul george and i think uh, monte ellis was on that team i mean that team was not very good and then comes back again and so it's just like this is his i believe third time returning to the team so it's one of the most interesting things that we've seen in you know all of all of basketball but uh i, I just i find myself so fascinated with how this fan base just absolutely loves this guy and if you think about it i mean he wasn't he's not been in the league for the last couple of seasons so for him just to like you said pick up where he left off and not miss a beat just like all these new fans that probably didn't even really know what was going on back in the 2010s are are loving him like he's just like this great player and and right now we we're, we're not even sure if he's going to be on the roster uh by the by the end of his 10 day contract still which now that we see what happened with Keelan, you know, yes, this yeah. might this could have opened the door for that. I think that when you see what a guy can do after sitting out and just, I think he said something on, along the lines, as soon as I got on the court, it, the energy just took over me. And I think that's a special kind of player, especially when it's in a city that you love so much. It's just like the the energy at Gamebridge was the thing that fueled his game. And I think that is a huge bonus for this team that is obviously at least as of right now are missing so many people whether they're in protocol or they're hurt or whatever it might be you know you have to be it's next man up in any sport and when you're coming off the bench you have to be able to perform which is part of the reason why keelan got you know that's kind of why he's no longer here that's why he yeah. gets released because of inconsistency and things like that but he just stepped in there and without really having to try just you know firing off threes and 20 points off the bench in the first quarter that's insane and that's why it's an nba record and i think that it would do the team well to have a guy like that especially with so much bench play going on because he gets it and he has been in the league or has played in the league for such a long time even with this couple season i guess i think it's three three season two three season break now. yeah 2018 was his last time here at the Pacers, so it's almost four years now, right? Oh, wow. Uh, the last time he played was in the 2018 playoffs against LeBron and the Cavs. So, yeah, this is – I think this is going on year four now that he's been away from the Pacers. So, it it's crazy because I tried to bring him back in 2020 uh, – yeah, in 2020 when Brogdon went down with a hamstring injury and then literally COVID happened. So, uh, the league got shut down. They came back in the bubble, and those three months gave Brogdon plenty of time to heal up so the Pacers didn't bring him back. But – that was the goal then. They were like right there at the finish line about to sign that deal. And so I think, you know, there's always been something in the back of the Pacers front office mind like, hey, there's a guy that's living in our in our state that we could bring in here. But he's only 31 years old, and that's what I think people forget. It's like, sure, he played in those early playoffs games against LeBron James with the Heat back in 2013, 2014, but he's still only 31 years old. And this Pacers team needs any bit of energy they can get because – 
this might be the most flat team I've seen, you know, one of the most boring teams I've seen in probably franchise history. I don't disagree with you, but I've also being a <laughs> from and a Philadelphia 76ers fan, I've watched a lot of bad basketball in my life. Yes. This is this is, you know, until the last four or five years, you know, my basketball fandom was just after AI, it was just garbage. Yeah. So to see, you know, so to see these games come down to the end and not being able to finish games and just you know, watching guys check in and check out and inconsistency off the bench and without starters, it's just, you know, it's the same song and dance that a lot of teams have to go through. And that's when you have to say, hey, we got to rebuild. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I know that the, the Sixers did trust the process. And this is part of the reason I wanted to have you on our podcast today is because you experienced that. And I, I think the front office is like, oh, the fans wouldn't accept that. But I think the fans would actually probably enjoy it. I think we've seen more excitement from some of these young guys getting an opportunity to try to prove they belong in the league than watching guys that have been a part of this team or part of the NBA for the last couple of years just go out there and struggle to close out games. Like, you just know it's going to be the same old story, same old song and dance every single time. I mean, it even happened last night with the with what you would call almost like the replacements, right, with all the G League guys and, and the exception guys out there for the, for the most part. So I personally just – I'm curious – since the Pacers have openly said we're not doing a trust the process type of rebuild um, and they're not going to full out tank with what they're doing now, 11 games under 500, what is the benefit of, of losing so many games and getting that tra- a top draft pick? The thing about tanking is making the conscious decision to say, hey, we know what we want and what we want is to step back and just let things happen for us so we can get these these big name guys in this case Ben Simmons Joel Embiid Markel Fultz you know obviously two of those three have kind of been a bust obviously Markel is doing his thing in Orlando and Ben Simmons is MIA forever but Joel Embiid has proven himself to be a bona fide superstar and obviously it's not always going to work getting that first overall pick or a top 3 pick does not always guarantee that it's going to work out and that's a whole multitude of things it's the roster that you have it's the guys that you are integrating you know coming in and off coming in and out of the g league it's your it's your front office it's everything it's coaching staff it's it's a it's a much more complicated process than people like to think it is because it's just like oh lose and you're you know just lose and lose and lose and then you you know Lottery, you know, you get higher in that lottery lottery, and hopefully get that number one pick. Mm-hmm. That well, being said, this season, I think, is a little unique also in that this is not a super deep draft class. This, I would go so far as to say if you're outside of the top eight, you're kind of screwed. Everyone's kind of about the same once you get out of the top eight, you know, because you have, you know, you have guys who have been making a name for themselves for years and years and years and years and years. Uh, but you have the Chet Holmgrens and you have the Palo Bancheros and Jabari Smiths. And it's kind of like those guys are so held in such high regard that like you have to get those top picks. You have to. And what I've realized about this Pacers team is that it's it doesn't even seem like they're trying to take. It's just that they can't play four quarters, which is obviously going into their favor with a poor record. Yeah. And I, it's I not wanna, like they're, 
Well, I want to ask. Well, I want to ask you about why. Why do you think they can't close out games? Because obviously, if we had the answer right, we'd be able to figure it out. Be like, okay, this is what they could do. But like, do you think it's just like a mental hurdle? Like they just overthink it when they get to that point in the game, or is it you know, is it coaching not putting the right group of guys out there? Is it the players that are on the roster not fitting well together, or is it a combination of all three? I feel like it's got to be a combination of all three, especially with guys like TJ out. I think that TJ being out has been a lot bigger of a deficit than a lot of people want to give them credit for. TJ is a guy who you can really plug and play. He's a really unique player in that he really just has the ability to set up shots. It's why he's a fan favorite. It's why he was a fan favorite in Philly. It's a reason why people in and around the league love him. Rick Carlisle said, you know, I think three days before he got hurt, he was like, yeah, TJ's the most unusual player I've ever seen. And I love it so much. There's nobody who plays basketball like him. And he's right. And that's why when you could plug him in and get him in and have him come off on the bench, you know, things were different. And I think that when you're just now trying to give guys off the bench the chance, Keelan's a great example of that. It's like you have to be consistent and you can't just put it on the shoulders of Domas or somebody like that, especially Domas because he's, you know, he wasn't in protocol and he wasn't hurt and the whole thing. So you can't have one person shoulder everything. And I think that when you see that, you know, guys start to run out of steam. You see it in, you know, in their play. They can have two great quarters and then they just kind of have to, like, take a breather because at a certain point you can't, you know, you can't overexert your body like that. And I think a lot of guys are like, oh, well, I can rely on this person or that person to kind of pick up the slack or shoot in this situation or, oh, Miles is going to come down with the block. Don't worry about it kind of thing. When in reality, it doesn't feel as though effort is matched team-wide. And I think that's a great point. And, and you, you know, look at Lance Stevenson last night. He dropped 20 points in the first quarter, but he was exhausted. Um, with just like a few minutes to go into the second quarter, he was like, pull me out, I need a breather. And you kind of see it all game long. Like, even, not, even just Dwayne Washington Jr., I thought looked a little bit gassed playing three games in four nights. Like it's a it's a brutal NBA schedule, and this is a lot of minutes that these guys aren't used to playing, especially the younger ones. Um, but when bench guys are called up to play a bigger role, like you said, you know, you're asking them to do something that they're not necessarily paid to do. And I think a prime example of that is someone like Justin Holiday. This is a guy the last couple of years that's had to basically be a starter, making like six million dollars a year. He's best playing like 20 minutes a game where he's able to be fresh, but he's had to play so many minutes and travel so many miles that you're starting to see why he's not performing as well as you'd like him to. So I think consistency is the biggest thing here, but I also think just the lack of having that go-to player. That, that to me, has been the biggest problem with this team the last couple of years, really since Victor Oladipo left, was just not having that go-to guy. And we saw a little bit from T.J. Warren in the bubble, right? We got to see a little bit of that type of basketball uh play from him where he was just like on fire but you know outside of Lance Stevenson dropping 20 points in the first quarter I can't remember the last time we've seen a guy just go out there and get a bucket time and time again whenever he wants and and that to me is a big reason why this team has been so poor in late game situation is because they don't have that closer they don't have that clutch player and you have to be able to close out games like it's absolutely not there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you cannot play four full quarters of basketball, you're going to fall off, and you can't afford to do that. That being said, obviously, it does help you in the long run because then we 
circle around and we get back into the conversation of draft picks. Right. But I mean, I think at a certain point, it's a conscious decision to say, you know what, like we're going to sit our guys and let the younger guys come in. And if we lose, we lose. It's another thing to just lose. (laughs) So um, I definitely think we could get to the point, like it doesn't feel as though they're trying to tank. It doesn't feel as though losing is what they want to do. Like they've had leads in these games. They just fall away. Yeah. Unintentional tanking is what I've been calling it because you know, Rick Carlisle is coaching them to win. But at this point, like you could tell early on in the season when they were losing a lot of games, like he was always trying to come up with reasons why they lost and talking about different things that could be better at and you know, whatever. Now it feels like he's just kind of like, yeah, we could have done this, but like, it's to me, it's almost like he's just, he looks a little bit tired of talking about losing. I think that it's not going to get any easier, obviously, with the schedule. If you look at the schedule ahead, it's just like a gauntlet for this Pacers team. And even if they get guys back healthy, they're not going to be the favorites in most of them, unless, like you saw, where Rudy Gobert is going to be out with COVID or in health and safety protocols, you know, for this Saturday's yeah. game. And then Joe Ingles is still out. So you, you might, the Pacers might catch a few breaks here where other teams that haven't got hit by the COVID bug, uh, they get hit with it. But other than that, like looking on paper, like it doesn't seem like there's a light at the end of the tunnel for this team unless they are active before the trade deadline. And I'm, uh, I mean, I'm fine with them losing games and competing, but you know, I, I also think that this Pacers team needs shaken up outside of just the draft. And I think they've got to look at making some pretty drastic changes. And I think they should do that via trade. Oh, I totally agree. I think that they have to be, they have to be buyers. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If they want to do anything to salvage the season and turn things around, which is obviously not impossible. It's not going to be easy, but it's not impossible. They need, 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 need to make moves. And to your point about other teams that have not really been hit by COVID like this, we've seen it around, basically around the league in that it's just a matter of time before different teams get affected. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, the guys who have, you know, the guys who, the teams that have been affected already will be the only ones. We do still have a lot of season left. We still have a lot of unknowns. I feel like we're all just taking it one day at a time as we see different names come out of protocol. But I think that they absolutely need to make moves. They need to get somebody they can rely on. They have to do what they need to do to ensure that they can just win basketball games. I mean, and if they decide, hey, like, we don't want to do that, okay, fine, whatever. But you got you have to – something has to give. Yeah, and, and I think even if you go back to last year when they didn't make any moves before the deadline, they were still kind of like teetering around that, you know, play-in game spot, not in the play-in game, just back and forth, back and forth. And they ended up not trading Doug McDermott, which everybody thought he's a perfect guy to trade at this point because – expiring contract, really good shooter, trying to get a first-round draft pick out of it. Well, instead, they do a sign-and-trade with San Antonio in the offseason. It was like, if you really had no intentions of bringing him back, what was the point of not trading him? And so I think you look at a guy like Justin Holliday, I think he could really help some other teams. Uh, Torrey Craig is another guy, I think, on a, on a much minor contract. Trading those type of players for, for smaller moves could be beneficial, but – I think overall, the the bigger picture here is how do they shake up this starting lineup? And 
everybody always talks about the double big, and we've shared our opinions on here. But uh, since you're not really a Pacers fan, so to say, you're more of a Philly sports fan. Do you have a preference, and which one you think the Pacers should should move on from? That's such a loaded question to ask me. <laughs> that's such a loaded question. I hate that you ask me that question, but I do understand why. I do understand why it's being asked. You know, I think that to get the most bang for their buck, it's got to be Domas or Miles. But that being said, like I don't, I obviously don't want to see them go because of the impact they've been able to have and what they've been able to do, Domas specifically as of late but if they want to make moves unless they're deciding to just add up smaller you know different guys with smaller needs and do multi-team stuff which obviously is not impossible but i i don't know if they can get a bona fide superstar in a one for one right i don't i don't think that that's something that is going to happen i think they're going to have to give up more assets than they'd like to and i feel like that might be a part of the hesitancy especially last season in not really making moves ahead of the trade deadline so do you think they're going to make more minor moves like i kind of threw out there with maybe like the the lambs the craig the holiday and and try to keep the the core intact or do you think they try and shake it up and maybe move one or two starters I think they'd be better off trying to move one or two starters because I think they can definitely get more that way. But I don't know if trading away three guys for one is necessarily the best move. But then again, I don't know Pritchard's philosophy in that way and what he thinks is the best way to fix anything. Well, that's that's a great question because it's like when when they traded Paul George, right? They got murdered for the trade because it got Oladipo and Sabonis, and it worked out great for him, right? I could I could see him maybe targeting a few guys around the league that might be under the radar, you know, guys that were drafted but their team might not think as as the, as highly of them. And a guy that keeps coming to mind is Cam Reddish. A lot of Pacer fans have been talking about him just because tenth overall pick for the Hawks has shown flashes that he can be a really good ball player, but they've got such a loaded roster and they can't afford to keep all these guys, right? So you're looking at maybe a, he could be a guy that's potentially moved, but it's like you, you you think about going after a guy like that and then you look at your Pacers roster and say, well, what do we have that the Hawks would really want? And, and that's where I think a lot of the, the questions come into play because the two biggest trade pieces you probably have are Sabonis and Turner. You're not going to trade yeah. them together. You're going to you probably tra- trade them separately, right? You know, I mean, unless somebody else wants to try this, their bonus thing, I don't, I don't wish that upon anybody else, but um, <laughs> I'm just saying like, whoever you trade, it's like, what are you getting back in fair value? And like everybody that throws trade ideas out, it's really hard uh, to figure out exactly what helps this team get better now, because I think ultimately that's the goal with Carlisle here, right? To get better now and not to get younger and kind of go through a rebuilding process, but to kind of retool on the fly. Going through a rebuilding process is hard, especially when you do have guys who are good enough to compete. When you have guys like Domas and you have guys like Miles, you know, there there is absolutely the ability to be a good basketball team. But that being said, you have to add, you know, look at what's happening like at the point. Like what is ha- what is happening? It is so shallow right now. So you have to make moves in that regard. But then again, you have to look for, yeah, like you said, the Hawks and their depth. You look at the Blazers 
you know, you look at teams like that and you say, oh, well, like what's expendable and what can you get rid of? The name that you hear being thrown around a lot just as somebody who will probably be moved is CJ McCollum. And I think that is a guy who is really, really, he's a great shooter. He has really good court vision. I think he's a guy that could really benefit. I think it's somebody that the Pacers could really benefit from. But then you say, oh, well, who do you give up or who do you move because of their needs? And like, what needs do the Trailblazers have because they're the Trailblazers? You know what I mean? Like when you have Dame, what else? You know, what are you, when you have bona fide superstars, it's, it's almost like, oh, well, is everyone expendable or is it one of those things where you say, oh, well, when you have two guys who are like pretty good, but not like all like, you know, absolute mega stars, like a Miles and a Domas, you know, how do you, how do you make those moves and how do you do this in a way that you're not getting completely robbed? And I think that's been the biggest question for a lot of teams. I don't think this is just a a Pacers problem. I think this is, it's hard when teams are so unbalanced and when you have teams that are hoarding superstars and you have super teams and things like that. All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break here from my conversation with Alexa Ross, and we're going to jump right into our player of the week in our rookie report with the one and only Michael J. Fachi. It's time for your setting the pace player of the week brought to you by smoke and barrel barbecue. They put their heart and soul into the food. And uh, I would love to eat there every day if I could. Open Thursday through Saturday at 11. Located at Camp Sertoma. Smoke and Barrel Barbecue, baby. All good in this head. Smoke and Barrel Barbecue. It's smoking good. Brogdon for three. Got it! Brogdon! And Harris LaVert has an eight-point second quarter. Miles, come on, Miles. To tie it. He does! Tied at 106. Warren lays it in. And the foul. And one! Sabonis with the throwdown. Here's another three. Towards What an old young man. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Setting the Pace Player of the Week. Now I am breaking all the rules over here because while others may have played better on the week, no man was more impressive than how Lance Stevenson played against the Brooklyn Nets. Lance was simply electric. He finished the game with his pace of career high, 30 points on 12 of 19 shooting. His shooting numbers do not do him justice because he was 8 of 9 for 20 points in the first quarter. The most in pace of regular season franchise history. It might have been the most exciting quarter over the year. It included a buzzer-beating three-pointer at the end of the first quarter. Not only did he receive a true standing ovation, but when he entered the game, I mean, you saw the fans. Like, it felt like, I get it, there was extra because Kyrie Irving was there, but it felt like something was different in that stadium tonight. It was the most fun I think the fans had all season because we finally had something to cheer about. Even my own fiance turned to me and said, if they don't sign him for the rest of the year, I'm no longer a Pacer fan. I'll be a Lance Stevenson fan. And I was like, whoa! She's never even seen Lance play before. She'd only heard the name, and all of a sudden, she was hooked. That's how exciting Lance was in his Pacer you know, season debut at home. I mean, it was truly something. The Rookie Report, brought to you by Pizza King. Located at 135 and Fairview Road. 
Call us at 317-882-0340 to place your order today. Pizza King, a proud sponsor of Setting the Pace. The Rookie Report. Duarte inside scores his first NBA point. Now Duarte, his three is perfect. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Beat him up. Duarte, step back three and hits his third. That's a tough three too. Now Duarte, another three. Here's a long three. Duarte, got it. All right, we are back for the Rookie Report. Now, normally we highlight two rookies, Chris Duarte and Isaiah Jackson. However, unfortunately, both of them were out over the last calendar week. That dates back to uh, January 30th, December 31st. And we, uh, since then, we've actually had two new rookies to cover. And we are talking about Keeper Sykes, who averaged 13 points per game on the week, with to go along with four assists on 40% shooting from the field. Now, Kiefer improved drastically after initially going scoreless. He then scored in double figures in his last three games with 10 points, then 22 points against the Knicks, and 18 points against the Brooklyn Nets, all while being undrafted. He's 28 years old now as a rookie. Even undersized, you gotta admire his heart. Kiefer's best game on the week, and of his short career, was scored 22 points on 8 of 16 shooting and 4 of 8 from 3 to go along with 6 assists against the New York Knicks. And, guys, I know it's just two games, but he's averaging 20 points per game on 54% shooting in his last two games. Give me some Kiefer over Brad Wanamaker any day. And then moving over to our other rookie, another undrafted rookie that produced quite well on the week. We're talking about Dwayne Washington Jr. Since being given substantial minutes, Dwayne on the week averaged 13.7 points per game. While he might have struggled from the field at times, he showed plenty of promise that he belongs in the NBA, especially the loss against Cleveland where he scored 20 points on eight of 17 shooting going four of nine from three. You could tell that these three newer additions to the team, I know some of them have been there, have really provided heart. And when I say newer, I'm also including Lance Stevenson, the Pacers need a little bit more heart. Kiefer Sykes and Dwayne Washington have brought some heart and some energy to this team. And I love seeing it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and that's a great point. It's like you got to find it like almost like the Pacers almost feel like they should be more sellers than they are buyers in a, in a, in a, in a regard to people will be calling them for their players, but are what the other team is willing to give up equal to fair value, you know, in terms of trying to help the Pacers continue to compete because that that's to me where I have the biggest problem with trying to figure out the best way to go about making deals. It's like, look, you brought up CJ McCollum. I mean, him and Dame have had a really good run there together, but if the Pacers give up what like a combined a combination of Karis LeVert and Miles Turner for CJ McCollum, like sure that might make sense salary wise, and you might think, oh, that'd be good for all players involved, you know, to get a new new home. But like, how much does that take the Blazers from you know where they're at, like twelfth in the Western Conference, up to you know into the playing game? I don't necessarily think it does. So you know that's where you have to look at things and it's just really difficult. I mean, I'm glad I'm not the one making the trades because <laughs> it's, it's gotta be a tough process. I know there's obviously, you're always going to want more, but it's just like, I, I think for a lot of, you know, fans, the biggest thing you have to realize is two, two or three B level players does not equal an A level player. It's not the same value because that A level player can do so many more things that those three B level players cannot do. And unless you're attaching, you know, future assets like future picks and unprotections on all those picks, like that's uh, that's the only way you're going to be able, in my opinion, to go out and get somebody. So if you're going to trade Turner and Levert and you're trying to get somebody back, that's really important. You're going to have to attach either young assets like a Duarte or an Isaiah Jackson plus picks. And that's just really hard to do. It's too much. It's it's just you can't you cannot make you can't do that. I mean, and I think that. Chris Duarte has really proven himself to be like the future of this basketball team. I don't think that he, you know, the way he's been able to step up, obviously he's in protocol right now, so that doesn't help, but the way he's been able to step up in the face of injury in the face of other COVID issues has been really, really incredible. And I don't think that he should, I hope he doesn't get moved, but you know, again, you never know what a front office is thinking when they see, who's on the trade block and what needs to be done. Yeah. And I think, you know, we could talk about Ben Simmons here for a second, because this is, you know, Philadelphia. We I mean, well, I'm just going to say like, no, it's not. He's, he's, he's like a top 25 player. Right. I mean, I think people would say he's top 20, top 25, wherever you want to put him at. Right. Clearly he doesn't want to be in Philadelphia. Obviously there's some weird stuff going on there. I mean, I don't know it nearly as well as you do, but like, that is when you can maybe try to throw in two or three B-level players to get that A-level player when a player like that demands out because their value diminishes, right? So obviously the Pacers have had interest. I know Scott Agnes reported that the Pacers even actually came on our podcast and said that the Pacers called like one more time to see if Brogdon plus something would be able to entice Philadelphia on a Ben Simmons deal. And they were like, no, before they extended him this um, this offseason. So, you know, I think the Pacers clear, clearly have interest there and Ben Simmons, because like, it's not very often a guy signs for like a four-year extension, five-year extension, whatever it was. 
sits out that year because he wants to be traded. I mean, this is a very, very different situation that I'm not, that I can't really recall ever happening. So this is why I think Pacer fans, you know, look at like, Oh, we can get Ben Simmons. Why not go get De'Aaron Fox? Why not go get this young player off this team? It's like, unless that player comes out and just directly says, I don't want to be here, trade me, whatever that kind of thing demands a trade, then you're, you're likely not going to get that. So I think the better route to go is looking at teams that have young assets that you believe can potentially become something special, but they just don't have that opportunity on the current roster they're currently at. Yeah, I agree with that. And to your point about the Ben Simmons thing, which is obviously like a very long and complicated saga, my biggest point in saying that it, it's, it would never happen and Rich Paul would never go for it is because this is Indiana and that's not a knock on Indiana. It's a knock on the fact that Ben Simmons is the kind of man who Ben Simmons cares about Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons does not care about basketball. He wants to be everything that it means to be an all-star without having to put in the work. What that tells me and something that Rick Carlisle has mentioned time and time again is if you want to play basketball and like hone your craft and be a good basketball player, this is the place you go. Like this state is centered around basketball. And that does not align with the Ben Simmons way. And I think that's a lot of the reason why he or his team have pushed back because yeah, I think it's a very reasonable trade and it's something that could benefit both sides. But unless he's going to like, one of the teams in LA or the Heat or something like that, it's just, he's going to continue to be the way that he is. Like, he's going to continue to be miserable. He's going to continue to hold out because at this point, it's just, it's, it, that's just, that's my take on the situation as somebody who's been watching it for a really long time. And of the two, you know, of Ben and Joel, the, the difference is that Joel has proven that he cares about the city, wants to bring a ring back, you know, the whole thing. Like, he is yeah. all in. I think he could – I truly think he could be a lifer. Like, I think that he goes down the way Allen Iverson did as that kind of guy for Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Ben Simmons was never going to be that guy. Yeah, and, and the thing with Ben, too, it's like, from what you're telling me, from what I'm hearing at least, it sounds like Ben's more of a – Ben doesn't love basketball. It's, it's Ben loves Ben. Ben does not love basketball. It's a secondary thing to him. It's something he's good at, right? Um, yeah, you, it's and getting you him can't paid. Rely, you can't rely on natural talent and athleticism at a certain point. You know, like success comes when talent and hard work meet. And you can't just get anywhere based on talent. And that's not just in sports. It's just in life. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to want it and you have to work for it. So... Well, let me ask you this because I want to get back to the – I want to tie this up going back to the whole tanking thing and, and the drafts, the draft process. So clearly, like, everything that you saw from him in, in, in high school and college made him, you know, like a clear-cut number one pick, right? And then, of course, Joel Embiid, I believe he went third overall, correct? Did he get drafted third? No, Joel was Joel was the number one pick. Joel was number one? Okay. When, oh, that was Jaleel Okafor who went third. Yes, yes. You're thinking yes, of okay. – <laughs> The wrong <laughs> draft. Yes, yeah. So, you oh know, my God. I, that, <laughs> sorry for bringing that one back up for you, but. Uh, so just kidding, just kidding. He was third overall. You're yeah, right. I, I thought he was. I was thinking about Markel because we talked about Markel earlier on like 
I, got I have not thought about, I have not thought about Markel Fultz in so long <laughs> that he is now just like infiltrated my brain. Right, and he was a first round. He was a first overall pick because the Celtics traded back and, and got yes. Jason Tatum. So I mean, clearly you look though, and I think the biggest thing here, just to kind of look at everything, while the Sixers might not have always had the right pick in the top three, top five, whatever it was, there were players there that got selected to other teams. That that still were you know considered a, a top twenty five player in today's NBA now. So um, one, why do you think it's so like? Why do you think the Sixers missed more than they hit in terms of their draft, their draft room uh, knowledge or their scouting, whatever? Did they miss all these guys? Did they not focus on the important things in terms of like loving basketball, like you're mentioning with Ben here or Markel just having a weird looking shot and stuff like that, or you know? Um, or drafting Okafor in a league that was moving away from centers, like it didn't really make a whole lot of sense then. But just kind of talk me through, like, what you think went wrong in a regard for for Philadelphia that could have maybe gotten them even more talented players on their roster. I think it's kind of a combination of finding the diamond in the rough and looking at, you know, it's one thing to draft for needs; it's another thing to draft for potential in the needs that you have. You know, the thing with like the thing with Jaleel, like you're saying, is, you know, he's a free agent now. He was the third pick overall. Like, there's no reason why he should not be playing basketball. He went to Duke. Like, you know, everything should be set up to say, oh, you should still be playing right now. But because, you know, he went to a place where he wasn't necessarily needed in terms of roster, you know, build, like roster building, you know, you just, I mean, t the Jason Tatum thing is a great example of, me, you know, seeing the potential in someone versus, like, what they have, and look who won. The Celtics. The Celtics won. And, like, look, I mean, look at Jason Tatum's career versus Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz has really turned his stuff around. That's not to say that he Yeah, he's, he's been all right in Orlando. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, but it's not, it's, he's not Jason Tatum. Like, no. Jason Tatum has become a household name because of where he landed and i think a lot of that is the way that brett brown coached i think a lot of that is the way that the front office worked i'm the biggest believer that the biggest rivalry in philadelphia sports in any team is its front office and it always has been and it always will be and i think i don't think brett brown helped i don't think doc rivers is helping i think right now with daryl morey being in charge of basketball ops and making decisions like that i think that you know he was able to fix a lot of mistakes that were made personnel-wise. And obviously you can't undo the big ones like trading Jimmy Butler and stuff like that. Like not signing Jimmy Butler to a max and him walking. You know, like you can't you can't fix everything. But you have to be a oh like your basketball IQ has to be about not just what you have, but what you're going to need. And I feel as though that might be a reason, part of the reason why things have not been total hits. And I think that might be a part of the reason right now why the Pacers front office has been so, you know, they've been in past trade deadlines have been really, I don't want to say anxious, but you know what I mean? They've been hesitant to make big blockbuster moves that they could make. Yeah. Well, it seems like a lot of guys that they let go, like they, they do well <laughs> other places, like even just going back to like a random second round, draft pick somebody playing great for the Sixers now is George's Niang but I mean he was yeah drafted. he is <laughs> yeah I mean he was like the 50th overall pick here for the Pacers and 
everyone's like, oh, he might actually get a legit chance here. And then, you know, they cut him and he goes to the Jazz and breaks out and then he goes to Philadelphia. And then you look at like Cassius Stanley, obviously, he's just, you know, got a little bit of a, a chance here getting called from the G League. But I think his like first outing for the Pistons or whatever, he had like 19 points. It's just like, I, I, I just find it so funny because like even when the Pacers have had draft picks, like TJ Leaf, complete flop and a waste of time. Gogo Batadze, they drafted him when they already had two centers on their lineup, and it made zero sense to to bring him here and bury him into the bench and never give him that opportunity. I mean, I, I feel bad for Goga to a certain extent because it's just like the Pacers wasted that that draft pick on him. They, they should never have put him in that situation to uh, not give him an opportunity. I mean, he's only reason he's ever gotten that is if he's, you know, there's been an injury. And so it just goes down the line. I think every team can do this type of thing, but – Ultimately, I think one of the biggest things is that pressure of the number one pick. Uh, there's always so many projections out there, and everybody usually comes to an agreement that this player should be number one. And I think that kind of is what happened with Markel Fultz, like uh, from reporting that I've obviously heard via podcast, stuff like that. Uh, you know, that's why Danny Ainge moved back because he thought Tatum was better than Fultz. And uh, yes, he was right. <laughs> yeah, but the pressure of, of Imagine if they take Tatum number one, right? It would have shocked everybody. I mean, it would have yeah. completely shaken the whole draft up. And sometimes I do believe that we over, you know, it's just so much pressure to me to make the right pick, uh, but also having to go with consensus as well so you don't upset the fan base. Yeah, and you look at the guys who are available right now and the kind of guy, you know, in this upcoming draft, you know, the Pacers cannot take Chet Holgrim. They do not need another center. They do that, not need that's the fear. You know what I mean? But like, would it surprise me if they did? No. You know, it's I get he's an incredible basketball player. Like he is one of the best blockers around. But you can you have Miles Turner. You do not need to you do not need to draft this man out of Gonzaga. Like that's you know, and I think that. Drafting it, like I said earlier, drafting for talent is one thing, but drafting for what you need, even if the talent isn't, you know, at the same caliber, you know, in that regard, you take what you need to take what you need. You can't just take the best person on the board. And, and you know, I, I know I'm rambling here, but I think for me, the biggest need for this Pacers team, aside from shooting, is just an athletic player because a lot of their better players are not super athletes, right? I mean, Sabonis is probably their best player, and he's not super athletic. Like, I'm not trying to say that he's not an athlete, but he's just not super athletic. Same with Brogdon. They're more skilled players. They're more finesse players. You know, you're not going to see them jumping, you know, eight feet above the, the rim with a monster dunk, right? You know, I think that's what this Pacer team really needs is just getting some more athletic guys to complement some of the pieces they have here, because I think this team has a lot of great complementary pieces, but I don't think five complementary pieces, you know, gives you your main entree, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have the guys like Dyson Daniels out of the G League. You have, what are your thoughts on Jaden Ivey to the Pacers? I know that's been a lot, there's been a lot of discourse surrounding a hometown guy I mean, I'm a, state guy. I don't care if he's from the hometown or not. If he's good enough to play and good enough to compete here, then sign me up, right? I mean, Victor Oladipo, he came back later, right? But uh, he was a second overall pick in the entire draft, and he went to the Magic. And I saw flashes there in Orlando, but, you know, Orlando has always been kind of a weird a weird franchise uh, the last, like, decade or so just because 
they've kind of been kind of like the Pacers. They were stuck in the mud. They were stuck in the middle for a long time of, of mediocrity, and they could never really outgrow that. But with Jaden Ivey, like, no, there's, there's no doubt in my mind. I think he's a top four talent in this draft. But I, I also, you know, how does he handle the pressure of being that hometown savior? Is there too much pressure on him to be that when he gets here? I, I just, I, as long as he's cool with embracing the city and not having to feel like he has to be that hometown hero, then I'm a thousand percent for it. But I don't want him to be overwhelmed by the pressure of being a hometown kid trying to like, re-say, you know, be the savior of the franchise. Yeah, and I think that's I get that, and that's that's completely fair. I do think that his athleticism is some of the best I've seen recently. I mean, he can move, and it's yeah. it's been incredible to watch. But I, you know, that's not even something that I considered is just the pressure. But it's just I don't. It's one of those I don't know. It's like your mom's your mom replaced Muffet as the head coach of Notre Dame, and like. Is that, you know, is there pressure because it's like you're already, I feel like that would provide or be less pressure because yeah. you're already, you know, that that's already happened. And it's like, it's not like, oh, it's just me. It's like, oh, it's my family is like a dynasty at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, I would clearly welcome him with open arms if they're able to get their hands on him and bring him to Indiana. Right. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying I don't want him at all. I'm just saying I don't want this moment to be too big for him, but I I'm, I'm in agreement with you though. Chet Holmgren is someone that I just don't think makes any sense for the Pacers whatsoever. I mean, especially if you're talking about athleticism, like, I mean, I don't care how good a shot blocker he is. Uh, This is a guy that makes me worried. I mean, seven foot tall, 190 pounds. That's crazy. Like, I, I, he's got to put on some muscle. I, I just don't know exactly uh, how he's going to be like some super dominant player in the NBA. But, uh, you know, I still think there's some guys in the draft that I'm, I'm interested in. I really like the uh, the kid from Iowa, Keegan. I forget his last name, yeah. but but I think uh, Keegan Murray, I think it is now. Uh, I think he's got some special talent and he plays that power forward position. I, I, I do think that um, he'd be a nice pairing next to, to Turner because he's more of an offensive skilled player, but he's a much better defender than Domas. But it's just one of those things where it's like, you're not going to find the perfect draft pick uh, to go with this roster. I think moves have to be made in the offseason. You have to tinker with this roster. And I think uh, it all starts off with like, hey, who do we want to keep? Who do we not want to keep? Who do we want to build around? Who do we not want to build around? And then go from there. Because the biggest question for me now is you got one year after this season left of Turner and, and Levert. Are they part of the long-term future, or do you let them walk, or or do you trade them before they expire? I think that if you're going to trade either, I think that I I just feel like you Lavert is somebody they should keep. I think that what he's been able to do when he's healthy and not out in protocol and all that stuff has been it's been really great. He is a little inconsistent, but. Honestly, most of this team is right now. Yeah. I, I struggle to say that anyone is super consistent except Domas. And that's, you know, you know, and that's just, which is frustrating because there is talent on this team. Yeah, I, well, let's see with Domas for me. He's my favorite player on the roster, so I'm always a little bit more biased when it comes to between him and Turner, who I'm going to trade, right? But, but yeah. with that being said, I just... I feel like we've seen it over the last three to four years. Like he just consistently gets better. He consistently makes others around him so much better. And I get it defensively. There's a lot to be desired there. I'm not going to deny it, but I mean, when it, when it comes to 
like just even this group right now, like he is finding ways to get open looks for Kiefer Sykes and they're starting to develop chemistry just after a couple of games together. Like Domas to me is not a selfish guy. To me, it always, to me, it appears that he's always willing to make the right basketball play. And every once in a while, he might be a little selfish, especially if they're struggling. But for the majority of the game, he's not going to force a ton, in my opinion, to, to try to get his stats, right? He's always going to make the right basketball play because there's been several games where I've looked on the box score and he's only got seven or eight shot attempts, right? And you're talking about yeah. a guy that's touching the ball almost every possession because they're running the offense through him. So that to me is why I just think he raises the floor of this team so much. And, you know, if you do move on from Turner, you're really going to have to figure out what you're doing defensively because I feel like Levert and, you know, Levert is a not a great defender. I think he needs to really improve in that area for me to be invested in him long-term. I, I agree with you that he's played better and it's not really his fault. This team's been so bad and everybody thought, you know, he's like the most untradeable guy probably coming into this season just because it appeared that the front office was that high on him kind of being the Vic replacement. But um, I just I just think there's too many questions there with his injury history, uh, if you can rely on him to be healthy, and then his defense, there's a lot to be desired as well. So um, at least with Sabonis, you know that he's not going to miss a lot of games with injury. He'll power through those games, and it's just they they are all – talented players like you said several times and I just don't think they fit well together and if you're able to move some of them and, and let them find another place to, to flourish then bring in some more talent or some different talent and more complementary pieces to go with the rest of the core and just kind of see what you have from there and then if you hit on that draft pick you know you could be looking at a nice little quick rebuild retool for the 2022-2023 season. I think taking it back to what you just said about Levert and how he how the team looked at him and just kind of what he like what they thought he was going to be versus now and the injury history and things like that. I feel like that's a part of the reason why they wouldn't even try to move him because teams are so hesitant with players who are injury prone. Like mm -hmm. you've I, you've seen that a lot, and I think that it's. I do think that he could benefit a team that is a really strong defensive team that can, you know, that just needs like a really strong shooter. But how many teams are super, super, super strong defensively? Right, right. There aren't so, you know, there aren't so many. A lot of teams are at least, you know, average at best, but that doesn't mean that you're you're gonna sacrifice to have a Karis come in just to make that up and just to fill that void just to shoot because that's not you know he's a sh yeah you're a shooting guard but you like you're a small forward you gotta be able to defend and he can't and it depends on how what team is using him where he is versatile and like he does have that going for him but if you're not defensively super strong another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, what are you, what are you going to do unless you're, you know, you're going for like a Colin Sexton and you kind of do a one- a 1v1 in that regard or 
you know, going to the Nuggets or something like that. That's really, mm-hmm. those are kind of the places where you see that happen, but it's not so, that's that's more of a, that's like the exception, not the rule. Right, and I think, you know, if you look at Brooklyn before they traded him, right, he was their sixth man there uh, yeah. with, with their roster healthy. And I think some people think maybe he's better in that role than he is as a starter because the ball can get stagnant with him and he can be a bit of a ball stopper at times and gets tunnel vision, whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, him having to be like the best player on the team, it's not his fault, you know, or, or a go-to closer at the end of the game. Like it's not his fault that he's got to be that guy. Uh, maybe that's not who he is. 82 games of the year, but maybe he can do it on occasion, right? I mean, he might be better served in that backup role uh, in a secondary role. And I think that to me is where you have to decide, hey, you know, if we have TJ Warren, how do these two guys play together? Because to me, that was a big concern of mine. I'm like, are they going to be complimentary or are they going to get in each other's way? And with not being able to see that, I think that it's put a little bit of a damper on how how you view those two together. I, I, I want to see that sample size just for a couple of games if I could, but we haven't. And I think, you know, Duarte, he had a great first month of the season, then kind of regressed a little bit, in my opinion. So there's a there's a lot there to, um, to, to unpack. And I know we've been talking for quite a while now. So I, I want to wrap this up here by just saying, um, no matter what happens, I, I think that we're all just ready to, see significant changes or or whatever just to get this team back to the winning ways and hopefully back into the playoffs if not for this season at least by next season yeah and i think rick carlisle's too good of a coach for them to be playing the way that they are i don't think this boils down to coaching i think this boils down to who you have where personnel wise Mm -hmm. and that makes a lot of sense so alexa thank you so much for, for joining us today on the, on the podcast. Where can people find you out on social media? And do you have anything that you would like to plug? You can you can see me on CBS4, Fox 59. I am found on Twitter at TV. Join me for some snarky sports takes, some <laughs> bad food takes, and a lot of sarcasm. But thank you so much, Alex, for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. All right, everybody, joining us now on Setting the Pace to close out today's show is my man Rich from Mavs Draft, also on uh, Locked On NBA, doing some draft work there. But, Rich, man, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Hey, thank you for having me. It's uh, first time in 2022. I'm excited to, <laughs> to dive in on uh, what the Pacers could be doing this year. It feels like we really don't see them at the top of the lottery. And uh, I don't know, I kind of like the change of pace, unfortunately, of course, but excited to see a new face rather than the same old teams. Yo, I, I'm completely there with you. I think a lot of Pacer fans are in agreement. like, hey, we are ready to see this team land a top pick. But before we get into that, I want to talk about this year's rookie class for the Pacers. So mostly Chris Duarte, obviously. Isaiah Jackson's played spotty minutes here or there, you know, but hasn't really been part of the rotation. And then because of the COVID stuff, we've gotten to see a little bit more of Dwayne Washington Jr., and a little bit of Kiefer Sykes as well, a guy that is a 28-year-old rookie, so older rookie than Chris Duarte, which I didn't think was possible. But with that being said, from some of the guys that you've seen for this Pacers team, what have been your overall thoughts on their play? Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, let's address the the elephant in the room. Somehow Rick Carlisle managed to get the two oldest rookies on the team. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's funny. not be any more on brand. Like, you don't know how much I'm, like, enjoying watching this from, a, from afar. And actually, though, like, 
I don't know. First of all, Sykes is one like Kiefer Sykes is one of the coolest names ever to touch a basketball for. <laughs> but yeah. then you have Chris Duarte, who obviously he's fallen off a little bit, um, to say the least. Like I think he, his first ten games were really good, and then after that he's just kind of steadily gotten worse. But the thing is, is like his worst is still like league average. Like he's kind of what we expected overall at this point. He's league average across the board. And he's a quality backup point guard. And I don't think this is nearly the best version of himself. I want to emphasize that. But this is about what we expected. I mean, he's still going to get a lot of all-rookie consideration. Yeah. So do you see him as a point guard or do you think he's more of an off guard? You know, I go back and forth. Um, I, I honestly think it almost depends on the matchup as weird as – which I really don't feel like it's that complicated, but I've made it that complicated at this point. Yeah, no, and I'm, it makes sense because I think there's we've seen him – Carlisle anyway has used him as the primary ball handler in the offense some so it is a it is a unique thing but a lot of people here have said you know we should try him at the point more and then obviously uh, he's not been utilized that way all the time because a lot of his minutes come next to Malcolm Brogdon or Kara Silver and they're more ball dominant guys so uh, when it comes to Isaiah Jackson this is a guy that I think you liked coming out of the draft um, obviously not getting a lot of playing time but what what do you like about him and where do you think he can help this team in the future? Yeah, I, I was a fan of Isaiah Jackson. I liked him at Kentucky, and I felt he was really raw. And I was a little bit concerned with him going to Indiana with, you know, Rick Carlisle's reputation of not playing and developing young players. But early on, I feel like we've seen a couple of flashes. I know against Chicago, uh, that was the last time he played, I believe, was – and obviously this – he played, like, randomly in the fourth quarter where it looked like they were going into garbage time and Chicago was trying to just keep it going. And he locked up DeMar DeRozan. And that has been the one play I remember from, from Isaiah Jackson this season where he just gave him hell. And it was, it was such a good flash to see. And I really think things like that are the, the future for him, where he's going to be able to be a stud that can switch on defense and really take anybody. He's not scared of anyone. The offense is obviously what needs to come. Yeah, I, I like Isaiah Jackson. I, I think that he's got to get a little bit bigger frame-wise because he can get pushed around down there a little bit. But at the same time, I mean, 19 years old still, right? So uh, a very young player. You know, I think they drafted the youngest guy and the oldest guy maybe in the draft or one of the youngest guys in the draft. So uh, just uh, just an opportunity here for him to grow. And depending on what this Pacers team does moving forward, we'll see if he gets a little bit of a bigger opportunity to maybe get some playing time, because I feel like that is the best way for players to really grow is to not just sit there on the bench and watch how the NBA is and learn that kind of stuff in practice, but also just get those reps in the game. But uh, Dwayne Washington Jr. was a guy that went undrafted. And while he's been a little bit streaky throughout his a couple of games here with the Pacers as a starter now uh, with so many guys out with COVID, what were your thoughts on him coming you know, into the draft class? I mean, I don't know if you had him ranked in your top 50, top 60, whatever, but where do you, what do you like about his game? And if you've got to see any of him with the Pacers, what do you think about that so far? Yeah, I wasn't very big on him out of Ohio State. I thought fringe top 100. Clearly, I've been wrong because I think at this point, if you play in the NBA, you are safely a top 100 player from your draft. Yeah. Even that most drafts don't even have like 50 players, but obviously this year's weird. But I, I wasn't too big on him. I thought the jump shot was okay. The jump shot has kind of been a weakness for him. The From the little bit I've seen, I feel like he's decent in pick and roll, which is helpful, and that's always, if you can do that as a guard in the NBA, you've got a place or at least a chance to have a place in the NBA. But not a whole lot has stuck out for me with him. Yeah, I think, honestly, for me, he's a really bad defender, in my opinion, especially perimeter defense. This is just something the Pacers really need help with. And 
I don't think he's been good in that area, but I do think shooting wise, you, you see the touch, you see why, okay, you know, this guy can put it up, but sometimes he's really streaky. <laughs> and I feel like that's the best way to describe his shooting is just very streaky. So there's some games you might get him to go seven of 11 and, and put in 15, 20 points, whatever it could be. And then you look at games last night where I think like him and Justin Holiday combined to go five of 23. And that's your starting backcourt, basically. So you're you're really relying on him right now to hit those shots, and he's not. So I think for me, while he's still young, he's still got plenty of time to, to grow as a player. Uh, I don't really know if he's going to be a long-term NBA player in terms of like getting into a 10-man rotation, but could definitely see him being more like a fringe guy that that flirts with that 15th roster spot going forward. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think he said it best. He's going to be flirting with the final spot. He's going to be a staple in summer league. And, and I don't mean that as an insult. He'll probably be the best player on the summer league team and he'll be on the preseason roster, but ultimately just not someone that's really going to be in the rotation very often. Yeah, especially when everyone's healthy. But uh, I do think we want to move now into a more exciting direction, and that's not this current Pacers roster, but somebody that could be on the uh, on the future of the Indiana Pacers, and that's looking at this 2022 NBA draft class. Uh, or, yeah, draft class. So who is the first person on this list that you think would make great sense for the Pacers saying they're at the sixth worst record in the NBA right now with the chance of moving to the top four. Is there somebody you're just like, they would be fantastic with this team? Well, there's a couple of options. So just to be clear that anybody is free in this, right? This includes. Oh yeah. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. So there's a few directions you could go with this. I think if you get Jabari Smith, who's 6'10", 6'11", pretty well-rounded offensively, can create his own shot, can defend pretty well, I think that automatically is the ticket that says goodbye Miles Turner or Sabonis, depending on which side you're on, but I'd, I'd pick Miles Turner. That makes him a lot more expandable. You could also go Paolo Boncaro, who was my number one player. Those are my one and two, by the way. Okay. But Paolo brings a little bit less defense. He's not bad at defense. He's not good at it, but he's better offensively. So it kind of depends on if you win the lottery, those are the two guys you're looking at. I think it'd be very risky to take Chet Holmgren number one, especially if you also have Miles Turner, because I feel like that's actually a pretty fair comp for what you're getting. Just a little bit more skilled as the passer and playmaker would be that. So that's like the top three of the options. Okay. So I just have to ask because Chet Holmgren, seven foot tall, 195 pounds is what he's listed at. So Clearly, he's got a very thin frame, and I know some people have some concerns about that. Obviously, the Pacers fans here do not want to see the team draft another center. We've been going through this over and over and over again. They would like to get more athleticism. So I guess just talk to me, like, why should the Pacers fans be okay with Chet Holmgren if that's the pick they decide to go with? And then after that, maybe give me some more like guys that are more bouncy, more athletic that you think make great sense here with this team. Yeah, so I, I want to preface it by saying I'm not the biggest fan of Chet Holmgren's game. I think there's just so much risk. It's not really a fundamental flaw. It's just the fact, or I guess this kind of is, but the amount of risk associated with him, the skinniness uh, in college, he hasn't really been able to put the ball on the floor like he did in high school, which is what made him the number one prospect. That's what elevated him just so much better than everybody else. However, the excitement is, is he can shoot threes and that's going to be a real skill from day one. And he has probably the best shot blocking instincts and timing I've ever seen, which with that length, you can't deny. No matter how skinny he is, he gets to anything he wants. The way I would describe him is like, imagine if you put current Mo Bamba in rookie 
form and let him develop in a proper way. Cause Orlando was terrible for him in that, especially the first two years. Imagine if you put him in a proper situation, he, you, you're, you're getting him to be the Miles Turner replacement. Like that's what you're going for. And the hope is with the NBA spacing that maybe that ball skills that he showed off in high school, which he clearly has, and he's a very good passer out of the post and he has good vision. You hope that all that comes together. It, again, the risk though is offensively, can he do everything he wants with the skinniness? Like, will it limit him? Mm -hmm. And I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll see what the Pacers do. Obviously it's only January 6th. So we can revisit this conversation after the deadline happens and, and see what move they make, because there's, there's a possibility Turner's traded. There's a possibility Sabonis could be traded for the right person or Karis Levert or whatever. Like there could be roster changes to this team. I think we're going to see that, but let's just kind of play uh, either or. So let's say if Sabonis is a the center they keep and they've got like the fifth pick in the draft, who do you think would be on the board there and would be the perfect fit to kind of build around Domas being not around Domas. Cause I would like to see this person become the number one option, but with Domas as a great number two, man, that is tough. Um, is there anybody? Of, so the, the, the class kind of drops off after four because Jaden Ivy is probably that fourth best player. If or Chet, one of those two, and then there's a big drop off where I differ from a lot of people. Like I have Nikola Jovic there, but not taking top 10 just yet like that. But I think, or I, I don't think he'll go that high. I'm going to go, I'll say Jaden Ivey. I think there's a chance he drops. He's an electric guard. He can play defense. The shot is a bit slow, but everything else on offense is pretty much there. Like he, he's super athletic, super electric in transition. And if, I don't know how comfortable the Pacers are, though, adding a guard. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on what they're giving up, right? I, I think everything is going to hinge on how they go about retooling this roster before the deadline and then in free agency, of course. They can still make trades, but ultimately I think this team needs a dynamic guard, right? I think that they need a wing player that can defend. And that's why I'm kind of interested in someone like a Kendall Brown uh, from Baylor, you know, six foot eight, 205 pounds. I'm also intrigued a little bit by Keegan Murray, who is, you know, just a little bit more of a modern day power forward. Uh, but what do you like about those two? And do you think either of those two guys could be, you know, top seven picks? So I think Keegan Murray definitely um, is climbing. I'll start with him. I think he's almost redundant to Sabonis, though, in a lot okay, of ways. Yeah. But the difference is, is he's a much better defender. With Kendall Brown, he does. He is a like he's going to stick. He's a glue guy. At the worst, he's a high floor. Could be this year, Scotty Barnes to some capacity, because the whole narrative with with Kendall Brown right now is he's scared to shoot, and his form is kind of weird. He has a little bit of a hitch, low release, and. Everything else, though, checks out. He's a monster on defense, can dribble with both hands, finish with both hands, comfortable with both hands, can finish at the rim, just really gifted defensively, athletic, long arms. But it's how much will that jump shot limit him? Yeah, and that's a good point, too, because the Pacers definitely need shooting. I think the biggest area of concern for this Pacers team right now is probably the point guard position. Uh, while I, we like Malcolm Brogdon, is he really a true point guard? Probably not, which means that your best true point guard on the current roster is probably TJ McConnell, and he's a backup point guard. So uh, you, you threw out the idea of Chris Duarte, but still, I think this team would benefit from more of a floor general type of player, but uh, just a guy that you can probably feel more comfortable with putting the ball in his hands. So is there somebody in this draft that's a point guard that would make sense to draft and maybe in that top seven, top eight range, or uh, is that reaching too much for these point guard prospects? Yeah, this is, I'll, I'll be hundred percent real. This, this point guard 
class is one of the worst we've seen at the top in a long time. It's just there's really nobody I would feel comfortable taking before 14, 15. Okay. So I, I wouldn't take a point guard in the water. You're going wing or big. Okay. And is there are there any point guards though that you like or that maybe could maybe you could see if they have a good run in the tournament? Could catapult up that draft board? Um, so actually I just realized Jaden Ivey would be the point guard. Uh, but the <laughs> point guard, I, I realized what I just said. The the main three, I would say, uh, maybe four that could make a lot of noise. Trevor Keels from Duke, monster defender needs to show more point guard skills a little bit more though. Um, you've also got Ty Ty Washington at Kentucky, also a good score. And who knows with Kentucky, what you're actually seeing. Mm-hmm. And then this one's not a college player, but some, this is a kind of weird Gene Montero from the overtime elite. He played in Spain at 17 years old and was pretty good. He's six, two, but plays as a score first mentality. Maybe once their season resumes, do we see what happens with their with his playmaking and everything? That would be big, but it's like an exhibition. So it's really hard to judge. Those are the three guys who I could see climbing come March. Yeah. Obviously, it's hard because one of them isn't even playing in March Madness or anything. I got you. I got you. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. I mean, Ty Ty Washington was a guy that I'm probably the most familiar with just because he's on Kentucky. But um, one guy that I kind of looked at before the season started, just looking at the potential, like, hey, if we're back in the draft, like, who are some guys that I like? And, and, and reading some of the stuff and all, all that I've heard before the season, I was intrigued by him, and that's Patrick Baldwin Jr. But after everything I've, I've seen in terms of whether it's articles or people talking about him on Twitter or even some of the highlights, it just seems like he's missing something. So what, what's going on with Patrick Baldwin Jr.? And, uh, you know, why do you think he's dipped quite a bit? Yeah, he's he made a mistake going to Milwaukee. I don't think that should even be controversial. He'll probably be the last five-star to go to a mid-major. He shouldn't have gone there for multiple reasons. One, his margin of error was thin, which we're seeing now. He got injured, missed a ton of big games. I, I don't think he played against Florida. It's it's not a good look when your entire scouting report for NBA teams was supposed to come November and December when you were playing the tough teams out of conference that they had scheduled, and he missed half the big games. So now – He's just coming back from COVID or uh, an injury, I can't remember, and it's off the bench in the Horizon League. And he's still, like, even against the lower major teams, he's just not dominating, and that's the concern. The, the good news is is that it's probably because of the system in college where it's like everybody gets there is not actually the best player, kind of dictates everything, and his skill set is very strong. So we've seen it in the, in the FIBA U19s, how good he was. We have high school tape. We know he's very good. It's just it hasn't translated to the NCAA, which is always a flag. And he went to Milwaukee because of his father as the coach, right? Yeah. Okay. Because I was I trying to remember if that was what I read exactly because I'm not into this. Uh, the, I'm not as into studying the draft class right now as I should be. Uh, I, I, clearly, the Pacers have given me tons of reasons to get more into it. And uh, I've seen some of the top guys like Jaden Ivey has been the talk of the town here in Indiana because of what he could possibly bring. But, um, you know, I just – I know that this draft class is, from what I've heard from other people talk about, it's 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 good. But 2023 is really the draft class that is potentially going to be the loaded one. So, in terms of the overall 2022 draft class, do you like it? And um, if you're a team that's – you know, you talked about that that split off there from four to whatever – um, if you're not picking in that top four, is this a is this a draft that you could see teams trading out of? Yeah, I think really it's going to come down if you don't land the top two picks. I think it's safely 
for me at least, and I, I see it playing out this way, is Paolo Boncaro and Jabari Smith are going to be one and two. If you miss out on one of them, you might want to reconsider just doing finding a team that is in the lottery trying to win, make the last move. Indiana kind of fits that bill and hope to get a 2023 pick because 2023, just the early returns, I don't think I've seen a class this strong this early. Um, we also really haven't had so much exposure to a class this early. Amoni Bates, even though he's fallen off, we, we have familiarity with him and kind of know his game. Scoot Henderson and Victor Wembanyama, Shadon Sharp, who's now practicing at Kentucky. It gets, it, it's a loaded class. We haven't seen this much hype this early, I don't think, for a class. So if you're a team in the, that picks four, you might want to move down to 10 and gain an asset because the drop-off is just so small. Yeah, and that's that's a big thing to keep an eye on here because, you know, uh, Pacer fans are like, yeah, let's get a top five pick, but is it really, you know, going to change that much of the franchise if there's not a top five player? But, you know, there's always guys that I feel like kind of step up that we don't always necessarily see being that guy. Um, I'm just curious, is there anybody under the radar in this draft that you think at this point uh, in the season could could have a good NBA career and maybe, you know, be that mystery pick that teams uh, go back and like, how did he fall eventually one day? Yeah, um, I kind of hinted at it earlier. I, I really do think it's Nikola Jovic, which I really hope he does turn into a star just because of all the memes that could come of it. Yeah. Uh, one letter off from Jokic from Serbia. <laughs> My thing with him is I'll, I'll preface this with the bat. He's a, not, not a great athlete who doesn't get to the rim a whole lot in Europe, but also it's much more physical, and I think he'll be able to do that in the NBA. But he's just not a good defender either. But he's 6'10", so that's automatically going to negate some of that defensive skill, I think. And two, being 6'10", being a, like he's been able to be a secondary primary creator. He can hit step-back jump shots, has super deep range, can shoot from anywhere consistently, can shoot at any angle, really runs pick and roll well. I think being a 6'10 point forward like that with such a skilled offensive game and a beautiful jump shot, that's what makes me so intrigued by him. And I currently have him top five. I don't know if he'll go top five. I'd be pretty shocked. Yeah, But for me, he's the number one international player. Wow, that's awesome to hear because I know – one thing I love about you with your board is I know that you, you know, you don't look at other, you do probably, but you don't compare your board to others and then make adjustments that way. It's just, this is your talent and you, that's how you evaluate your talent. That's what you have. And I like that because, you know, a lot of people probably, especially Pacer fans, aren't even thinking two things about Nikola Jovic, right? So this is uh, somebody to put on the radar. And, you know, there's always those international players that do s- tend to, to g- climb up the ladder, it feels like to me in some some degree every single year. But um, I think that pretty much wraps up my thoughts on uh, or my questions that I have for you on this draft. Is there anything else you want to say in regards to this Pacers team or, or anything that's going on with uh, the, the draft that you'd like to, like to share? Uh, I'll just share one thing. The, the If the Pacers have to choose between Miles Turner, or I, I already said this, choose a bonus. I, I don't I don't feel like it's that tough of a decision. And uh, I don't know. I feel like the Pacers are in good hands. So it's not the worst thing to happen for them to kind of bottom out for a year. Yeah, I think, honestly, just them not playing well is going to hopefully break up this roster a little bit because even though they've not played a game together with the starting five, we've still seen a similar core of Sabonis, Brogdon, and Turner. Um, while everybody always talks about splitting up the bigs, right, uh, do you think that they should re-sign T.J. Warren or do you think that they should move in a different direction there? And what about Karis LeVert? What do you think they should do with Karis LeVert? Karis is hard because over the last month he's been good, but 
ultimately, I think actually that would honestly be kind of a sign to sell high. I think mm-hmm. if you could package Agreed. Levert and Warren or Levert and Lamb or something like that, I'd co-sign it. I just I don't know how consistent you can get, how much consistency you can get from Levert when he's injured. He's overall just inconsistent. Like I, I'd be okay moving on from him. What about TJ Warren? Would you keep him or would you no. look to cut him at the end of the year? No, let him go. Think so. See, my only reason I I say I, I would consider it is if he can come back healthy this year and show some signs of you know his old self. If you don't get too locked up and to a long-term deal, I, I think it'd be worth the risk to try to bring him back on a cheaper deal because what better talent are you going to get if you just let him walk for nothing, right? Yeah, that's true. If you get him for – I'm assuming he comes back, like, at the same contract. I don't know. But if you get him for less, yeah, go ahead and do it. Yeah, that's that's the only thing. You know, obviously there's going to be changes with Jeremy Lamb not coming back. I guarantee that won't happen. Uh, Torrey Craig's a guy I could see being moved, Justin Holiday as well because they're both cheaper contracts. and. You know, they're good rotation guys that could be traded by the deadline. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the Pacers do. But I think the draft is a little bit exciting. And uh, I guarantee, even if we have, like, a top six picks, top seven pick, we will talk ourselves into that player before the season starts next year. So uh, just anxious to who that could be. But uh, would you like to plug anything for uh, what you have going on over at Mavs Draft or even at uh, Lockdown NBA? Or, you know, maybe just give out your Twitter handle. Yeah, I mean, anything that I do is going to go through at Mavs Draft on Twitter. I will blow up your feed. I'm so sorry. But if you want to stay in tune with the rest of the NBA, college basketball, international, high school, whatever it is, uh, I'm your guy. So appreciate you having me on, Alex. Yeah, Rich, thank you so much.